Well, connect with them. Make sure you connect with them today if you haven't been able to. Or again, like I said on the communication card, we'd love to hear from you there. Well, all right, friends. Um, it's nice to see you. Thanks for being here again. I, I uh, again, Tim Rogers. Um, I want to ask you a question to start, and it's, it's this. Um, and I want you to think about this. So we're, uh, we're going to play um, a little bit of, of audience engagement here this morning. I'm going to ask you this question. What, I want you to think about um, what brings you joy? What brings you joy? Another way to think about this is what energizes you? When you think about, man, I've got some free time, I've got some opportunities that lie ahead, where do you by default gravitate? What brings you joy? Take a minute, think about that. Share that with your neighbor quick. All right, share that with your neighbor. What brings you joy? What energizes you? Go ahead. I already see some laughter. I see some eye rolls. I see some nudges. I see some knowing. Yep, yep. Okay. That's good. All right, good. Good. Thank you for that. I'd love to hear some of those things. So here's one of the things for, um, I'm sorry to cut you off, I really am. <laughs> That's cool, that is really cool. One of the things that brings me joy um, is being able to, to travel to different places. And so my wife and I, Jen and I, did something we've never done before um, this past Friday. We had um, a bunch of airline miles and so we decided to, to visit Dallas for a day. So we flew down to Dallas and got there early in the morning and then came back late in the evening. Because I went to school there and we had about three and a half years of our life there, we decided, why not? It cost us actually $11 to fly down and back. And so we figured it's actually cheaper than you know, even driving down to Philly for the day with, with gas money, to be honest. And so it was strange, it was crazy, and it was a lot of fun. It was a little wild, and, but it was really kind of cool. And, but it was fun, and we reminisced, and it would mean almost nothing to you all because you, weren't, you didn't walk where we did, and it was super hot, and it was very uncomfortable and super humid, and, but we just re, retraced some steps of where we lived and where we would take walks and where our daughter was born and where we went to school and things like that that were fun for us, um, and, and it brought us joy. It brought me joy, and it was just a lot of fun to do, and here's something I've learned that I think you know as well over the years, a simple principle, and that is this. What actually gives us joy gives us strength, and, and I don't know if you've ever put those two together before, but it really is true that, that where you find your joy and what energizes you actually invigorates you and you find that strength coming from whatever it is that you share with your neighbor, being at the beach for some of you, not being at the beach for others of you, you know, being able to do something silly like I did, you know. But anything that brings us joy brings us strength. That's just reality. But we also know this, that as life goes on, there's some things that bring us joy that we were younger when we were younger that don't bring us joy when we're older. Like when I was a young kid, I would, it would be easy to, um, to bring me joy by offering me a, a cookie, right? Or maybe come sit on mom's lap for a little bit and kind of help me through this time. But, but as I got older, number one, it'd be awkward to still sit on my mom's lap, right? But number two, a, a cookie doesn't bring me the kind of joy that I need to really give me the strength that I need for what life really um, handle, hands you. And so as I think about life and the reality of things get deeper and harder as you get older, it seems like you all of a sudden are navigating in waters that you weren't having to navigate in before, that this is also true, that not only does what brings you joy brings you strength, but the deeper the joy, then the deeper the strength. Meaning that as you get older, unless you find sources of joy that are deep, you won't be able to find the source of strength 
that is also deep that can help you navigate some of the most perplexing, conflicting, disillusioning seasons of your life. That the times where you're looking for strength and digging for strength, you're going to have to find at some point, and you know this is true, some place to re-energize, to refocus, to find a source of strength for what you face. And, I would, and uh, this morning, what I want to do is walk with you through a passage of Scripture in the book of Nehemiah, looking at a people who found joy in a deep place that was, in a way, kind of surprising for them. And I hope that as we look at it, we'll be able to see how we can learn and what we can learn today for where our joy is truly found and how we can navigate it. So I want to invite you to turn to the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair near you there. Um, it's our gift to you if you don't own one, by the way. If you don't know how to find Nehemiah, no problem. Just go to the Psalms, kind of the middle of the Bible, and then back up a little bit, and you'll find Nehemiah. But Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And in this series called Stronger, we're looking at a God who is stronger, a God who invites us to find strength in Him and in His will and His Word. And, and Nehemiah's story is certainly that. And if you don't know Nehemiah's story, that's okay. To catch you up super quick, Nehemiah came, there was a governor of Judah, and he came back to the city of Jerusalem that was in ruins, and now in the story where we're at, he has rebuilt the wall with all the people in Jerusalem. So the wall is now rebuilt. It is finished. It's ready to go. And as we pick up, they're starting to do some things that they hadn't done before. So with the wall done, now people, not everybody lived in the city, believe it or not. Some people lived in the city, and some lived out in the country. And we're picking up in chapter 8 in the seventh month of the year, and this is important to know because in the seventh month of the year in the, in the Jewish calendar at this period of time, it was prescribed to be a month of celebration. Almost like Christmas for us, it's probably the closest we can get. And so as we jump into chapter 8, I want you to imagine this reality. That if you can imagine that you loved celebrating Christmas with your family, but you couldn't do it for 70 years... Imagine that, that you were separated, your family, your children, your grandchildren were separated from each other, and now for the first time in 70 years, your city, your people has found peace, the wall is built, and you're invited to come to a celebration that has not just Christmas implications, but national identity implications. Can you imagine the, the kind of fervor pitch that would build, the kind of fever pitch that would build as you're thinking about, we finally get to do the thing that we have been prescribed to do for so long and for 70 years have been unable to do, a massive homecoming kind of feel is going on in Nehemiah chapter 8. And so all the people from the country have come back to the city, and in Nehemiah 8, we begin, we kind of jump into this moment. And the, the, to the best of our knowledge, when they talk about a gathering of the people who are here, believe it or not, we think, the best of our knowledge, about 30 to 50,000 people are gathering for what we're about to read. That's a lot of people gathered in one space. So let's jump into this moment with all of the energy that it brings. Verse 8, excuse me, chapter 8 and verse 1. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. You can almost hear, feel the buzz in the air. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And so on the first day of the seventh month, as soon as they could, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That phrase makes me think that 
They had maybe a VBS going on for their kids or something like that. So they had men and women and then all the kids at least who were able to understand. I don't know what they did with the toddlers and the babies, but I don't think they were able to understand. Maybe they had a, you know, I don't know, a VBS running on the side. So he read it aloud. This is so amazing. Verse 3. He read it aloud, meaning he read the law aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and basically the kids who were old enough and others who could understand. And all the people fell asleep because it took so long to get through it. (laughs) And all the people listened attentively for what was about six hours to the reading of the law. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun to do? Can you imagine that? (laughs) They listen to the book of the law. These, this is the part of the Bible, if you ever read through the Bible in a year, this is the part of the Bible that you try to read through quickly, right? Like, let's just get through that part to the more exciting part. Well, here's the book of law being read for about six hours, and all the women and, and children and men who could understand were here listening attentively to the book of law. I don't know, by the way, how it worked, but they describe it a little bit in verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Makes sense. And then beside him on his right stood these people. And on his left were those people. It's the quickest way to get through that. You add them up, there's 13 of those people and these people. Now, I don't know how 13 people communicate pre-amplification to 30 to 50,000 people. I've always wondered about that. I don't know if you have, but, you know, they didn't have a microphone to turn up, you know, when Ezra's voice went down like mine sometimes does. I don't know how it worked, but they read this and all these other people are involved. And verse 5, it goes on, Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him at least because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, then the people all stood up until noon. That's not in there. That's me. That's what they did. Verse 6, and then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen, which means it is true, it is true. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I mean, we've got something to learn here about our own engagement with what we find to be true about God and his word. This, this is refreshing to read and to see a full body engagement with people engaged in this way. I have stuff to learn here. And he goes on, verse 7. The Levites, and then names all these Levites, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. Now, again, I don't know exactly how this worked. I imagine, this is a total imagination. Your imagination may take you somewhere else. I imagine Ezra would read, and then maybe there's small groups of 2,000 to 5,000 hearing instruction. I don't know how it worked, but they broke it up and they began teaching, and then the Levites were instructing, like, here's what you're hearing And then they're taking that next level, and then here's what it means. Because verse 8 clarifies that exactly right. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, and, they're clear, and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. So it wasn't just a reading there was also clarity and meaning so that the people who were standing there could grasp it. And if you, again, if you can imagine, it's almost like water in a dry land. 
it's almost like water out in the Midwest right now where they're having heat waves, that this, it's this refreshment of the soul. For the first time in 70 years, the people, their identity is being watered again. Hope is given again. They're hearing the law, what they have been made for and built for, what God is designing them to be. They're hearing it, and they're understanding it. They're so excited about it. And you can imagine there would also be grief and tears for all that was missed over the years. Sadness for disobedience, for the rebellion, what brought them into exile. And that's all represented here because verse 9, then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep because that's what people were doing. And I can understand that. Finally feeling again, all that they had missed over the years. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And then he said to them, instead of doing that, here's what I want you to do. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. And then he makes this statement that if you've grown up in church, some of you have heard before, if not many of you have heard. For, he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What gives you strength, he's saying, is the joy that you're experiencing in the Lord right now. That the joy of the Lord is your strength because what brings you joy brings you strength. And I have to ask the question as I read this, like what does it mean that the joy of the Lord is your strength? What actually brought them joy in this space? And I go right back to verse 8. Let's look at that again real quick. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people could understand what was being read. See, their joy wasn't that the wall was built. Their joy wasn't that they accomplished that. Their joy wasn't even that they were about to have a great lunch and a great feast. That wasn't their joy, although that would be really nice too, especially after standing and listening to the law for six hours. Their joy was that all of a sudden they heard and understood the law of God. It made sense to them. It was this aha moment of this, this is what God wants. This is God speaking to us through his law. This is amazing. And this is a source of strength for them. And this historically has been where the Christian church has always been. That it isn't about the priests. And in our days, it isn't about the pastors. It's not about your Christian leaders. It is about God speaking to his people through his word. That's just this the, the way it is. That this joy, this source of joy, is there's a depth to that that they experienced in community. I want you to remember, we often transfer our 21st century experience to the Old Testament, even to the New. These folks had no opportunity to go home and read their Bibles because there was no Bible yet, right? They didn't have the printing press yet, right? And so no one had their own copies of the scriptures to go home and read on their own. There was no daily bread. There were no daily devotionals. There were no daily anything that you could read on your own. That just simply didn't exist in human history. And so where is it that people heard and engaged the word of God. It was in two places, well, really one. It was in community with one another as they heard the law of God read and explained. And it's in community with one another as they heard and understood the law of God. This historically has been how the people of God have found strength in hearing God 
through his word in community with the people around them. We today have the advantage of individual reading. We can read our Bibles and we have our phones and our apps and all that, which is a great addition to us, but it isn't how things began and it isn't how the church has been formed. It has been, we have been, the people of God have learned in community together what it means that God is speaking to and through us. Now, here's what I, I want to say. What we talk about our values at Grace Point Church. One of our values, and you'll see it here and there in our literature and in our, in our writings, we say this about the value of the scriptures particularly, that at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. The Bible reveals God's clearest desires. When what I want conflicts with God wants, with what God wants, he wins. And then we ask this question, we have this attending question we ask to it. How much authority am I willing to give God and his word in my life? The reason we do that, the reason we have this question here, is because of this reality in Hosea. And I love the way Hosea puts it, the way God even describes it to him in Hosea 4. He says this, that my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. What Hosea is reminding us, and what God reminds us through Hosea, is that when the people of God move from a central understanding of God by engaging his word as a community, that we begin to become, if you will, destroyed. When we lose that source of joy, that is a deep source of joy that provides strength, the community of God begins to fall apart. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. This is the, this is the reality of the people of God engaging God through his word in community together. And so the story goes on in chapter 8, verse 11. And I'm just going to summarize this for you because I want to continue. I want to get to, to, to another thing. But what happens in the next several verses, and we're going to jump into verse 17 in a minute, but what happens in the next several verses is the people actually learn that they're supposed to celebrate the feast or the, um, the celebration of, of booths, if you will, where they go out into the wilderness and grab uh, grass and um, coverings, palm branches, and they kind of create their own. It's almost like an ancient um, church camping event, like People, if you like to tent camp, um, people ask you sometimes, like, don't you know that they actually built houses now where you don't have to live in those temporary structures? People are like, yeah, but I like it. And that's kind of the, the, the festival of booze is this moment where the people of God um, build these temporary structures and live in for a little while, just remembering God's provision of them through the Exodus. And so they do that. They actually have this moment where they go out and build branches and get branches and build booze for themselves. And then verse 17, just to wrap this this part up. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths. We, we think of a phone booth, but anyway, built booths or little tents, imagine that, and lived in them. And from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their, again, here's our word, their joy was very great. Their joy was very great. Why? Because what they're doing is they're applying the word of God in their community together. They're finding that in community, as they hear and understand the word of God, they have a source of joy that is a source of strength for them. Because what gives them joy, and here's what we know, what gives us joy gives us strength. What gives us joy gives us strength. And we also know this, again, that the deeper the joy, the deeper the strength. Now, the reason I bring all this up, the reason I bring all this up is to say this, that at this point, I think at this point in our season of life, and I say our because I think we're all walking through some national and international stuff together. 
We're all walking through a season that has brought us together, even in the middle of certainly conflict and challenge, no question, and diversity of opinion and all that. I mean, we don't even need to put words to it to understand some of the stress and pressure that we have felt and so many of us have dealt with in different ways. But the reason I bring all of this up now is this, that as you are in this moment of kind of refreshing Like, what will your future as a couple, as an individual, as a single, look like? What will your future look like in terms of the relationships with the people who are around you? Who are the people now who, you know, I think all of us have grieved the loss of friendships in some way. We've grieved the loss of people who have been close to us and are no longer close to us. Sometimes that's within family, sometimes it's within a friend network. And as we are all trying to settle again and hoping that more mitigation efforts and lockdowns don't come, that we can kind of just want to settle again. As we try to settle again and refresh relationships, you don't want to, and I don't want to just go back to things the way that they were. What I want to think about with you is what do your relationships look like right now? And what relationships do you have? In fact, I want to ask you the question this way, in light of what we read in Nehemiah. How, how, as you think about your relationships, how are your relationships and how are mine? How are your relationships helping you encounter the deep source of joy in God's word? As you think about the people around you and the way that you engage with one another, as you think about that, what does it look like for you as someone who wants to be someone who can withstand some of the most difficult things that life can throw at you, to find a a community of people who can drive joy into your heart deep to find the strength in God's word where you can together understand and engage with the word of God so that you, so that you can find a source of joy that is deep. You know, what does that look like for you? As I begin to think about this, I just wanted to share a couple of characteristics that I think are true, just to flesh this out a little bit. Because here's what I think, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. I think that relationships that include biblical engagement and insights provide a number of things. They provide, first of all, for me, a a truth-telling environment. And I don't know about you, but in this season we're in, we need to discern what is true. Christians are people of truth and have always been people of truth. Of all things, Christians should be people who pursue and engage truth. And so relationships that include biblical engagement and insight provides you with a chance to say, you know what, we are going to pursue truth together. And even when it hurts, you can tell me and help me see where I'm falling short of what is true and what is right. They also provide this, I would say, a bond that's deeper than interests. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I think that the season that we've been through has revealed That sometimes while we say that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, many of us are actually brothers and sisters in hobbies. The reason that we connect is because we share sports together. We share drama together. We share arts together. We share work interests together. But I'm not sure that all the time we share a deeper bond of Christ together. Because I would struggle to understand if that is true, if I can look past all the things that are my interest, and if we have differing opinions on things, but if I'm bonded to you in Christ, then why is it that I would divide from you over non-essentials? I've wrestled hard with that question. I've been as honest with you as I can about that. It's been a struggle for me. And so communities that come around the scriptures and God's word is a central part of their life 
continue to reinforce that there is a bond for people that is deeper than interests in your relationships. Deeper than that. Thirdly, I'm going to say this, it provides, in light of that, a unity with diversity. These kind of relationships say, you know what, we, here's, here's what we're unified on, and you vote that way, and you vote that way, and I love you in Christ anyway. You think this, and I think that, and I love you in Christ anyway. It provides a unity because there's a central focusing point where we find joy together in saying God's word is over all of us. So let us dive into understanding his word. Fourthly, it provides clarity for hard decisions. Goodness, so many of us, I've heard from so many of you about the difficult decisions you have to make at work, at home, with family, with friends, health decisions, financial decisions, business decisions, on and on. And what a place, what a better place to find clarity for hard decisions than in a community of people who continue to drive back to the scriptures and say, here's what we think we see, and here are some ways to think through that. And finally, this, and this is what I love personally, is support for all of our foolishness because of grace. Support for all of the ways that we really blow it. When I when I get up here to you and I speak at this level, but I actually live sometimes at this level, and you see that and you know that, but yet you support me nonetheless. Why? Because we all know, we all know that the, that the reason that Christ came to save us is not because we can perform at this level, but because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. A community engaged in the scriptures is a constant bath of grace saying, yeah, you, you blew it, you screwed up. You said something, you did something, you acted in a way you shouldn't have done it. But you know what? There is a tremendous amount of grace in the body of Christ and people who find their source of joy in engaging together through God's word. And so, I wanted to take you back to this story, back to this moment of these people who are coming together, celebrating again this moment, this homecoming of the nation of Israel within the walls of Jerusalem, 30 to 50,000 people coming together, both to, to mourn, if you will, to cry over what was lost, but also to recommit, if you will, to find again their source of joy, that the joy, as Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want to challenge you this morning, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, as you're in this next phase of life for you, as you're trying to resettle again now, I want to encourage you to look around at your relationships and ask not just who can I get along with, not who can I just be around who doesn't annoy me and doesn't bother me and doesn't continue to push me in this direction, not just who around me is like-minded. That's too easy. That's too simple. Not just who around me can I can I hang with without having awkward tension of the fact that we disagree about important things? Now, I want to ask you a different question, and that is the question I asked you earlier. How are your relationships right now and in the next phase of life? How are the relationships that you're having right now? The kind of relationships that will drive you together to discover and engage the truth of God's word so that through all of our collective junk, we can continue to be anchored to the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. As the deeper the joy, the deeper our strength, so that we can be people of God who are stronger in the world in which we live, in the relationships in which we have. Now, let me make that even more practical. Some of you, and with this I'm gonna wrap up, some of you in, our, in my hearing, 
have a lot of relationships already with family and friends. And you don't need the church, I'm going to put it this way, to be a dating service for you. <laughs> you don't need us to find people for you to connect with. You already have a bunch of relationships. Great. I want to encourage you to ask that question of your current relationship. Some of you are coming to this church, and you're looking for the church to provide you with small or medium group opportunities to meet people because you're struggling with the relationships that you currently have. I get that too. So some of you need this church in different ways. If you're in that latter category of wanting to connect with people and saying, you know, I think that's a cool idea that we can have people who can engage the, the Word of God together, I want to encourage you very practically, on your way out, grab my business card, email me, and say, this is what I want. I don't know what it looks like. I want something like that. Because right now, we are working on providing solutions for that here at GPC. Trying to understand how many people need what right now. We as a church even are resettling in that space. But I'm very serious. I wanna encourage you, take my business card, email me, let me know, you know what, I want to be a part of a community that engages the word of God, but I don't know how to get there. What will that look like? And I'd love to have that conversation with you. Because I believe, again, the deeper the joy, the deeper the strength. And I want you, I think you want you, to be anchored to something deeper. Just like Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And as we center around understanding God in community with one another, amazing things can happen as we are anchored deep. All right, next week, part I don't know what of this series, I think part 10. And we're going to talk about commitment and the beauty and challenges of that kind of commitment. All right, look forward to that next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be together this morning to understand and hear and see your word and to see people who've engaged your word in a profound way in the book of Nehemiah. And so I pray for, for us as we even think about the source of our own strength now and as we navigate really tumultuous times and hard relationships and difficult conversations and nuances that we wish weren't even there and as we resettle, even in our own relationships, I pray that you would help us to see where we can be a little more intentional in how we engage your word together, that we can continue to drive deeper, to understand you through your word and where we get lost in it and feel confused, that we can seek the help we need, that together as a people of God in this space, we can drive deep to find the joy of the Lord that is our strength and seeing and understanding you through your word. And so I pray for us as a community that you would continue to heal us, bond us, grow us, deepen us in our love for you and your word and our love for one another. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.